0: Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, amigas. November is here, and so is Small Business Saturday, November 26th a day to celebrate and support small businesses and all that they do for the communities. So our amazing small businesses really keep our communities going. And today we'd like to highlight a small business on our podcast today, and that is Auntie Elsie's Oatmeal Crisp Cookies. Auntie Elsie's Oatmeal Crisps is owned and operated by Elsie Edible who immigrated from Ghana and handcrafted a unique oatmeal cookie that just melts in your mouth. These thin, crispy oatmeal cookies are delicious and one of a kind. I know them very well. I get them every year. (laughs) They come in three delicious flavors, cranberry, ginger, and classic oatmeal again i seriously love these cookies and they pair well with morning coffee afternoon tea or a lovely happy hour charcuterie platter with your favorite wine they're super yummy You can order your assorted holiday gift box or corporate gifts as they make wonderful corporate gifts or for family gatherings or just enjoy them on your own. So go to com, and we'll have the link in the show notes. Support small businesses this holiday season. Gracias. Today, my special guest is Maricela Herrera Avila the first Latina-appointed CEO of the global organization, The Elevate Network. It's the largest community for women plus at work, focused on creating a culture of equity and inclusion in business. She oversees overall business operations growth and strategy. As a strategy executive with 15 years of experience building and scaling teams, brands and businesses, Maricela has led the creation of impactful programming, such as annual Mobilize Women's Summit, which reaches thousands of professionals across the globe and is supported by some of the world's leading companies. Maricela is also the host of the Elevate podcast, Conversations with Women Changing the Face of Business. Echa ganas. Let's get started with Maricela at Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. All right, Maricela, thank you for joining me today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. This is a very special podcast that I really have been thinking about doing around DEI and more Latinas and women of color coming into the space and how we show up and represent, well, just basically how representation matters. And you and I were talking a little bit about that. It's time in other podcasts. I say we have the numbers, we show up, we just need to hear and see more of it. So thank you for joining me today to talk about the Elevate Network, which you have recently become the CEO of the organization, which is a global women's leadership network. But you also mentioned that some men join as, as well, correct? Correct. Well,
1: first off, thank you. Teresa, for having me
0: today on your podcast. Sure, no worries. So one of the things we want to dig into here is your background, because you are, again, you know, a lot of Latinas that I have on the podcast are usually first generation, which I find very interesting. I'm a third generation here in California. Uh, I know you're out on the East Coast. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of intersections of how we think about leadership, how we think about business, how we think about our communities. And that has a lot to do with our backgrounds and where we're from. And so your family coming from El Salvador during the time of the 80s, late 80s, do I want to say? Was it during the late 80s? Throughout the 80s, basically. Mm -hmm. And the turmoil that usually happens Down in Central America, a lot of us don't talk about that, but it really has an impact into a lot of when they get to the country and they find themselves really looking at that American dream. I want to talk about that and how that was kind of set for you in your journey from El Salvador. And then I think you said to Mexico City and then to Colombia, right? Business school. Oh, my God.
1: Yes. I was born in El Salvador. I lived there for getting to adulthood. Mm -hmm. Throughout the time of war, I don't usually think about it that much, to be honest. But you and I were talking last time, and it's weird how what you live through when you're in your younger years Mm -hmm. has such an impact in how you see the world Mm -hmm. afterwards, right? So for me, living through a lot of the turmoil while there was an armed conflict going around, the resiliency that you built Mm -hmm. from just kind of trying to, tomorrow will be another day and things should work out. And it gets ingrained Mm -hmm. in your mind in some way or another. I do think that that also has something to do with my kind of fight or internal compass on fairness Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. wanting to bring that to anything that I do within my life Mm because I'm, I always think, you know, life is hard mm-hmm. and if we make it a little less hard and a little bit more fair, it would be extraordinary. So I left El Salvador to go to college in Mexico, did that, worked in banking for a few years
0: mm-hmm.
1: back there. And I didn't think I was going to come to the U.S. actually. I never had that in my mind. It was just, you know, Trying to do my thing, figuring out what I was good at, where I could use my talents, and how I could see what I could accomplish. In that moment, a lot of it was, you know, first generation ambition, right. kind of like, I, oh yeah, we, my family went through all this. Now I, it's on me to do something bigger and mm-hmm. better and greater. And I ended up coming to Columbia Business School in the U.S. Loved my time there. Came thinking I was going to be a banker and continue to be a banker and realized that that was not me.
0: Yeah. You can share with us, like, why did you decide to go into that? Because I always talk about when you step into a different arena where you think you can make an impact, you know, there's a reason where that drive comes from. So let's talk a little bit about the finance aspect part of banking. Why did you pursue that? So first off, numbers made sense to me. So it was
1: kind of one of those moments where I remember being in school and taking being in college and taking my first accounting class and being like, this is so logic driven. Mm -hmm. This just makes so much sense to me.
0: Mm.
1: So I kind of fell in love with the numbers. And that was my first foray into, you know, I let me let me see what this finance thing is all about. I honestly came into that world mostly because of ambition. And I'm going to repeat that word a lot of times Mm -hmm. because I think that lately I've been reading, I don't know if you've been reading some of the articles of how there's a whole narrative that women are not ambitious anymore. And I will call a lie on that. You can say Uh,
0: bullshit. I'll say it for you. I will call bullshit. It's bullshit. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it is. It is bullshit. <laughs> we're absolutely ambitious. Who says we're not? Right. We might care about things differently. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there's no ambition. So I, I did go into finance because I thought it was going to give me the status, the money, the power mm. in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that that would also mean it would take a lot of my life honestly, Mm -hmm. that it would take a lot of my confidence. So instead of building it up, it kind of shot it down. And I was extremely lucky. So I worked, my first boss and mentor back then in the industry had been my professor in college. Nice. And he didn't remember me when I first came in for an interview. But afterwards, like we started talking and he was super supportive. So in that sense, I was I was extremely lucky. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, however, I was a young woman in her 20s covering some of the largest real estate developers in the north of Mexico. So wow. talk about male-dominated within male-dominated within male-dominated. Wow. And that was hard. Mm-hmm. That was hard because a lot of them did see me as, you know, who's this little kid who's asking me? For my financials or asking me all of these questions about how I run my business. And that's why it was so important to me to have a mentor or a sponsor, really, that had my back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't think I could have done it without that. It did make me develop some thick skin. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's probably the, the biggest thing I got from my banking experience, mm-hmm. And, you know, you say it's different in Mexico than in the U.S., and it absolutely 100% is. I mean, I do remember my going out to lunch with my clients and everyone drinking tequila and me being like, I don't know how to act in these situations. Right. But the culture in the U.S. is still harder. Mm. The banking and finance world in the U.S. is still, still, I would say, more closed off. Because over there, I had to fight with being a woman. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't a Latina until I moved to the US. I always wow. like to say that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting perspective because you're in a country where Latinas are Latinas. I mean, we're not like, you know, I think the only differentiator there sometimes, while it's still very apparent, is skin tone. and Skin tone
1: and socioeconomic status. Yeah, yeah. Those
0: are yeah. And that's a lens that's very deeply rooted in a lot of, past sentiments and colonization. And so is, you know, the banking industry, if we look at it. I mean, a lot of people look to the U.S. as a strong economic powerhouse. Right now, we're kind of, everybody is kind of failing in that arena right now. But this is a big change. And we've been through a lot of changes. You and I, in the years, you coming here, me being third generation, I've seen a lot of economic downturns. But that just means opportunity for a lot of people. And that's the way we have to look at that in some regard, because this is where things get turned upside down and the people walk away, which means new people can walk in. And if you're ready to walk in, this is what I say, the doors are open right now. And I think it couldn't be a better time for a lot of Latinas, which I am seeing getting into these leadership positions like yourself. So I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Time is now. The time is now. And one is, you know, in your journey of banking and you decided to say, okay, I'm going to pivot into business school because, you know, talk to us about that because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of our audience that debates whether or not going to, you know, graduate school is a good thing. I always say yes, it is, even though I myself didn't. But that's there's economic reasons for that, and that's because I've had more work experience and being in tech and being in an innovative industry and yeah, yeah, yeah. That I feel like a lot of strategic initiatives I've been on that is an MBA in my arena. But I want to hear from you, like what what are your thoughts on that?
1: That's a great question. I. I went to do my MBA because that's what I was supposed to do. Mm. Like that was how my path had been charted by me. Like honestly, Mm -hmm. no one else was telling me, but this is what I had envisioned in my life, you know, graduate work at a bank for a few years, go do an MBA, then do something bigger. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I was really, really, but in my younger years, really, really driven by that Mm -hmm. kind of, I want to do more. I want to do better. And I thought it was because I wanted to learn more and I am, an absolute nerd like the amount of books you do not want to see mm-hmm. how many books I have on my coffee table and they're all business books <laughs> oh uh, yeah I was just in a meeting before this like took out the step ladder to get books from that shelves yep. back there so I've always like if I could I would be learning constantly yeah and I wanted to learn and I thought that that was the main reason to do an MBA you know yeah get some knowledge Turns out that that was completely incorrect. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I did gain some knowledge. But the reason I think everyone, if you have the possibility, because it is a big burden, Mm -hmm. you should do an MBA. And I don't even just say grad school, but like an MBA specifically is because of the network you meet. Mm -hmm. That's really what you're getting out of. The alumni network that I have now Mm -hmm. because of that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Even people who don't, know me. Mm -hmm. And I see it for myself because people contact me online and are like, oh, hey, you're a Columbia alum. I'm a Columbia alum. Can you talk to me for a few minutes? And I absolutely will say yes. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. Like, so for on one hand, I met amazing friends Mm -hmm. from all over the world. I did learn lots of great things. And I built this network or became part of this little club that opened the doors for me. And to be honest, that's how I got this job, right? So I landed at Elevate because through my time at Columbia, I met the founder of what was back then 85 Broads, now Elevate and started, you know, building a relationship with her, working with her, helping her out on some of the things that she was looking to do for her passion project, which was Elevate back then. Mm -hmm. Then I ended up coming to work for her after, you know, Lots of thoughts of where I wanted to go and if I wanted to continue the finance. And, you know, I told you the story. I was in the last last interviews for a small boutique investment bank in Mexico and thinking, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back and this is this is it. And they asked me just before we can get to anything else. Do you have any plans of getting married in the next two to three years?
0: That's so crazy. I mean, that's totally illegal here in the United States to ask that. But, you know, we're talking about Mexico. so <laughs> we're,
1: we're, And a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> let's also say, let's also give them that. Right. And I was like, uh, no. Which was also so, like, I, I still kick myself for being, for having that very chill reaction to it. Right. But I guess, you know. And then after thinking about it and talking to Janet, who was the founder of 85 Rods and had become my mentor then, yeah, I didn't want to go into that type of environment. In fact, I, it almost lit that, I I have to thank that guy, honestly, I wish I remember what the bank was called, because I, I really have to thank him because that lit the fire that I needed to take that already, you know, I was very kind of hard stuck on, the world isn't fair, things aren't fair, and things need to be more equal. Mm-hmm. And then this comes along, and it's the perfect opportunity for me to be like, screw this. I don't, this is not what I want to be part of. I want to be part of something that actually changes. This. And right. that's how I ended up here.
0: Yeah. So what I like to say is that's a part of you living your life to have enough experiences at that moment for you to say enough is enough. And I think just collectively what's happening in the world right now, that's exactly the moment that's we're living in right now. A lot of women right now are saying enough is enough. And then there's some other women that want to be in Gilead. I'm just going to flat out say that. Gilead, yes. Handmaid's Tale, yes. They want to be there. No, not for Latinas, I don't think. So, uh, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I don't think we were made for that.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so. We're all Junes over here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I'll say, this is as you're saying that you know, this is where we're getting to. Enough is enough. And then when we come to it and say, you know, this is enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Like we're burdened with childcare, housework, and I don't, I don't have kids, mm-hmm. but I can see it within the com- elevate community. I get to see a lot of what everyone's dealing with
0: mm-hmm.
1: uncertainty in the economy companies that don't value us, like all these things. And we say enough is enough. And then we're labeled as women have lost their ambition.
0: Yeah, no, it's not ambition. It's the support network that we need, right? It's a total support network. And yeah, I fight that too. It's, you know, I'm going to say it. The fucking pandemic really put you know, some cement blocks on a lot of women's feet. Mm-hmm. Because we were the ones that, especially Latinas, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, too, you know, we're the ones at home taking care of mostly multi-generational families. Yes. And that is an economic downturn for us. The other thing is, we're the ones having to, to still do the things that, unfortunately, culturally, we buy into. And we do the things, right? If there was a shared understanding, like within the household of duties, shopping, all kinds of things, right? With the kids, other than birthing them, this would be a different society in general, because there would be an understanding that we can't do this together. And so when they say lack of ambition, I kind of want to throw up the middle finger and just say, you know what? We have shackles if we have a family, Latinas, we do this because we love our families. I'm not saying other mm-hmm. people don't love their family, but it has been harder for us as a community. We don't have the resources that have been available to us. Yep. So this is where I get a little fired up with you and just say, you can shove it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. No, <laughs> absolutely. I'm with you.
0: Okay. It's time to serve the tea in our second half of this episode. And as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are supporting Small Businesses Saturday, which is November 26th, and we're highlighting Auntie Elsie's Oatmeal Crisps. And we'd like to talk about her holiday gift boxes. Amigas, I cannot think of a more delicious way to share the cheeseme and these thin and delicious oatmeal crisps with friends and family this holiday season. Personally, I do love the ginger flavor. The real ginger bits that are in the cookie give you that snap of flavor, and they literally melt in your mouth. I give these oatmeal cookies as gifts every year, and they never disappoint. So get the tea ready for the second half of this episode. And go to AuntieElseys.com. That's Auntie a u n t i e l c e l s i e dot scom and shop now. It's perfect for the holiday season and support the Small Business Saturday. Gracias. This is very interesting to me because I've always said until women can own the finance, a piece of the finance industry, which you see a lot of women creating their own VCs. Mm -hmm. They are creating their own elevest. They're creating their own financial investment firms. This is very important because they're trying to create financial literacy, which we need more of. And I'm happy to talk about that with you, or we can just talk about the relevancy of just why the ownership of finance for women in your leadership position is so important Maybe that's part of the Elevate Network ambition that we talk about of why you're there. But I want to hear your take on that. So can you explain? Yes. So I think a lot of it is just background
1: and where Elevate came from. Elevate and Elevus are completely separate Correct. entities and, and non-related. But because of where we came from, we came from women who were at Goldman Sachs. That's how small it started. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I know you sent me that article. I was like, oof.
0: I'm like, hmm, um, those are, that's some juicy tea. Or, no, that's some savory tea to be drinking right now. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I am very, I would, I yes. And there's a whole book that just came out on it, too. Oh, wow. Fire. Okay. So, I think because of that, the background, we have always thought about finance in a way. But at the same time, you know, money is power. Yes. Like whoever denies that is. I don't know what world you're living in. Mm-hmm. Money is power. And the reason that a lot of middle-aged, heterosexual, cisgender, white males have power is because they have money. right? And the silly thing is, women control more than $3 trillion of investable assets. Mm-hmm. And we control 86% of consumer spending up to the last time I remember looking up those numbers that might have changed. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of power. right? And so it's the what can we do with that power? And that's why sometimes we fight at elevate this with the word empowering. Mm -hmm. Because we're not asking anyone to give us power. We have that, right? It's how do we use it. And I think this is where you're talking about how, when we can actually get the finance institutions within the control of women. And, I think it's when we have that money, we ha- realize that we have that money, that we have that power, and that we have those investable assets mm-hmm. to open the doors for other people. Yes, I remember talking at an event in a, a few years ago, actually, and it was for a Hispanic Heritage Month event because, of course, that's what I was talking at. Mm-hmm. And they asked me, like, how do people, how can people support Latinos who are coming up the ranks? And yes, sure, mentor them. Yes, sure, sponsor them. Invest in them. Right. Like give them the money. hundred percent. A lot of these people are the ones that are starting businesses. Yes. Latinos are starting and Latinas are starting businesses at like extremely high rates. So if we can get that money. Right. And put that to use towards these groups, then you're making a difference.
0: Right. Absolutely. I'm there a hundred percent because, well, I'm there just in general because I am one of those people that pivoted. I was in tech. Enough is enough. I had enough of the shit show there. Just everything that was happening, I just said, okay, where can I be useful? What can I do? And this is why I started the podcast. This is why I want to bring other women that aren't in the leadership roles that are fighting that social justice impact in these organizations like Elevate Network that you're in and other organizations. You know, we are the least seen in these mm-hmm arenas of where we have been empowered where we're moving into that c-suite nobody is highlighting that as much as mm, nobody (laughs) that's just what i'm gonna say nobody and when we talk about the most powerful women that are latinas or black women they want to bring us down they want to silence our voice They wanna stop the communication from us trying to bring, as you say, we bring up others along with us and why we have these networks. I think it's important for us to learn more about the Elevate Network and how it helps women in that arena and how it's a organization to join. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that since you're at the helm of strategy and operations and the vision moving forward for the organization.
1: Yeah. uh, You're going to have to shut me up when you had enough because I can talk about this for ages. That's okay. So Elevate is, like I said, it's been around for 23, 24 years. Mm -hmm. It's not a new organization. It started out as 85 broads, you know, some women in Goldman Sachs being like, hey, we want to be connected. We want to help each other. They were leaving the company and wanted to stay in that alumni type group. Goldman did not like
0: that. Of course not. That's
1: a story for another day. Right. Uh,
0: Let's see. Why are women leaving the finance industry in the 80s? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And why do they want to stay together and get
1: together and talk about things and help other people. And let's see, there's a major lawsuit coming
0: out now. Oh, okay. I get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we've been around for a really long time. I've, and I always say, I like to start with that always because that means our heart hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Our whole mission of bringing people together to help each other, to bring each other up. That's not changed. Mm -hmm. However, we've adapted with the Mm times. So we used to be that specific, you know, group. Now, when you said, you know, men, we say we are the largest community of women plus at work. Mm -hmm. And that plus for us represents non-binary individuals, transgender people and men, anyone who believes that we should have gender equity Mm -hmm. and can work towards it. Like we know we can't do it alone. So we bring those people along. And our whole thing is that we believe the world would be much better mm-hmm. if people felt like they belonged, if people felt like they belong in their workplace, that they belong in a position of power in a position of leadership. And if you could see that you started off this podcast by saying how representation matters. Yes. And that's something we try to put at the forefront. Mm-hmm. It's really lonely to be the other. It's really lonely to have a work life where you think no one else is going through the challenges When most likely a lot of us are right. So if we can make these spaces where women and non-binary individuals and men that care about gender equity can come together and talk about work honestly, authentically and give each other advice, give it open doors for each other, because, again, like I said, a lot of it is open doors for one another then we could actually make a huge difference in the culture of business Mm -hmm. and make companies be a little bit more human and the world be a little bit better and work suck a little bit less.
0: Right. So that's what we do. Awesome. So, you know, you bring up a very interesting point about how we like to gravitate towards one another where we want to support each other. And I think that's really big in our community right now. Well, just in general. But my thought is when I look out into all the DEI stuff that's happening in tech. Mm -hmm. When I look at all these other initiatives that a lot of people are trying to spearhead, I really want to get into maybe an understanding why is there so limited opportunities for us to be in those positions? Because I feel that's what creates the competition and the lack of collaboration. And this is inherently put in place in my thought process So that it is made that it is very limited and that we do have to struggle and be against one another. I don't see any other organizations like that. I mean, I've been in many interviews where I've lost out to opportunities for someone that knew somebody because they were on the crew rowing team and had an Mm -hmm. English background. No tech experience, no strategic partnership experience, nada, And they got the job over me. You know what I mean? And so I'm just kind of looking at that like, okay, is it a social capital thing? Yes. Do they need to check a box? No, because there's no accountability. So I guess I'm kind of opening Pandora's box there about all of that. But I'd love to hear your take on those limited opportunities. And then also that social network that, you know, is not really made for a lot of us that went to state schools or didn't get on the crew team, right? I
1: know exactly what you're saying. And this is another rant I've been going through my fight for fairness. You know, there's so much research out there of how the only way or the best way for people to move, for there to be class mobility. And we were talking about Latin America. And for me, I think a lot about class mobility and socioeconomic classes, because that's kind of the biggest issue I would say over there. Mm -hmm. And the way to advance class mobility is to have, exposure and access to people who are more successful than you. Mm -hmm. So what you're describing right now is a network that's already closed. Right. And you can't break into that. So you can't move forward as the people who are there. There's a lot of places currently, and I will say a lot of other networks and groups like Elevate that are perpetuating the same thing and the same Wrong. Wow. Which is why for me that's one of the biggest things for Elevate that we need to we have been, we have been inclusive forever, but have is one of the changes that we want to make the most, which is like we don't want to be in here in creating another siloed network
0: mm-hmm. where
1: people are just the people who are already at the top and those are the people that keep going. Right. It's actually how do we bring these other people along? And the reality is work sucks. Like the way that the business world is structured right now mm-hmm. is inherently flawed because of it. Yeah. But businesses are a collection of humans, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, what we need is to get the humans within those businesses to be people who think like this. Right. To, to be the people who think as, you know, let's open the door for others. Let's really bring this the power of diversity not to check a box because what you end up doing when you do that is bringing a lot of people that are diverse, but are not bringing their perspectives because they need to feel like they belong. They need to feel like they are accepted by the majority. Right. So I don't think that it can change in any other way, but by dismantling the way that business is built right now. Right. And that is going to be a lot of work and a lot of time. And I think it is for the people who are coming up the ranks. That's why I always say it starts with managers, starts with managers and their influence with their teams. hmm and then it continues going up. You're not going to find a, again, middle-aged, heterosexual, cisgender, male leader, <laughs> CEO of a company being like, oh, no, all of a sudden I'm enlightened and this is going to change. Right. It has to come bottom up many, many a times. Right. And, you know, how do we make sure that the people who are going to be making the decisions in the next 10 years, 20 years are people who want to do these things want to open those stores. Right. So sadly I don't think it's going to be necessarily right now. There has to be a mind shift of the pie is fixed. Mm. The pie can be big. Right. You know, the table can be bigger. Right. So that more people can sit at it.
0: Right. And the old saying is if you don't see enough chairs and bring your own chair. Or I just say, you know, just forget it, go build your own table and see what you you know, you can do and then come back later and say, look what I, what I built. And now you have to pay me five times more than what you thought you, you know, could bring me on for. I mean, that's kind of like a a strategy plate there. I think,
1: I mean, it it
0: really is. So I like to get your perspective on this concept or thought of bringing in our authentic self, our community, and then somehow wrapping that in or having a platform within a business to say, this is how the community works. How would it pair with what we have today to change it?
1: You now, let's remember businesses are a collection of humans. Mm-hmm. So every person that goes into work and it goes from wherever you are mm-hmm. realizing that you have a voice, that you can set your own boundaries, that you can ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. And being your authentic self, I mean, whenever I hear that, especially in the context of talking about Latinas, 72% of Latinos say they can't be themselves at work.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's it's such a high number and it's so sad. And I absolutely believe it and think that it's probably in reality more than that. Yeah. Not everywhere gives you the permission to be there. And that's why I say it begins with the managers and at the team level. Mm -hmm. You can't dismantle like, yes, I want to dismantle a whole business culture, but you can start with the people around you. Mm -hmm. You can start with giving permission to the people on your team to come as their selves and for you to back them up. Right. You can start by helping someone that doesn't look like you or doesn't sound like you get a little bit of support or get that word in. You know, there's a whole thing that the Obama administration used to do and the women at the Obama administration used to do of amplifying each other during meetings Mm. so that at least they were being heard. Right. So that's the type of thing that I think is, can we get individuals to bring those small actions at a micro level within an organization and then that will begin the change? So I guess the way I'm thinking of the dismantling isn't necessarily let's tear it all down, although that would be very nice. It is about how do we each individually do something to make it a little less unfair.
0: Right. So what books would you recommend just for Latinas and, you know, our communities that are looking into a leadership path or Maybe they're in a career right now and they're like, I really want to change things here. It's a good company, but there's a lot of things that need to change. Because I completely understand when people say, I can't just say you're screwed up and things need to change. There's a different way of an approach, <laughs> obviously. Yep. And what would you suggest for folks to do in that capacity to, I guess, raise their hand to say, I have an idea. I would like to propose something, you know, get that confidence, but how do they back it up? Like are there books? Are there resources? Like, what do you think?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you need backup for proving some of the points, there's tons of research. I would say hit up the Elevate website and you'll find tons of stuff. Oh, awesome! But there's a couple of management books that I think are some of the Best, I always recommend them. There's like three books that I always recommend, mm. regardless of who you are and where you are. One is uh, The Culture Code. Mm. It's a fantastic book about organizational culture and how the best groups function. Mm-hmm. And it go- it covers everything from Navy SEALs to people who work at restaurants and how they come together. And I think it's a very good blueprint for anyone who wants to make organizational change within their company, wherever you are because you can find a lot of like these are the things that make teams work. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a manager, hugely useful. Okay. So that's one. Also if you're a manager, radical candor. Mm. I think it's a fantastic book, a great way to know how to deal with your teams and and I keep emphasizing on the manager part because I like I said before, I really believe that that's where change will start in organizations. Yep. And then one that honestly for anyone anywhere Thanks for the feedback. It's on communication. It's on how to receive feedback. But you get a lot of tips on how to give it to. Oh, good. And it's fantastic. It's such a good book because it really changes the way that you relate and hear what other people are saying to you.
0: Mm.
1: And it makes you think about it in a way of also when you say something to someone, when you raise your hand to ask for that. How can you brace it so that it goes through to that person in a way that's going to be productive? So thanks for the feedback. Swear by
0: it. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll put those in the show notes for everyone to look up. So I have one question about those books. Are they all written by men? Just FYI? No. No. Actually. Okay. Culture Code is written by a man.
1: Radical Candor is a woman. And the other, I think it's a man and a woman.
0: Are they any people of color? that I can't remember. Mm. So I think this is a, I should do my homework. This is a huge opportunity, I think, for anyone out there that is in a job role. And you also, I mean, this is just my take that we need more folks of color writing about their experience in, in management, in organizations, how we can put out our perspective in cultural changes. I know there's a few books right now that are changing that around dei but i think just from a management perspective and a leadership because there, i don't see any books really i mean there's a few that are out there but you see a ton of books written by men white men in leadership how to do this what to do this this that blah 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 blah. blah. and it's like that's it you're blowing my mind honestly right now i'm like going through my
1: roster of all the books and I read a lot of books and I'm like trying to think of one and I'm having a hard time. And this is, that's not good. Yeah. That's really not good.
0: Yeah. I think this is the platform for you. I think this is an opportunity for you, Maricela and anybody else out there that's, you know, working in tech that is a person of color because I don't see any, I don't see any, they're even revamping books that were written like it's Stanford Business School by yep. white professors that are like, oh, no, here's the new version. And I'm like, can mm. we just have like a new version with a person of color writing it and their their take on it? I'm like, come on now. Like there's no people of color at Stanford and business school. I mean, they have a whole Latino cohort, you know, yeah. entrepreneur business school going on. There. <laughs> Nobody can write a book. I mean, come on. <laughs>
1: You are blowing my mind. Absolutely. No. I'm 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 putting this on my list. I'm gonna amend my bucket list to make it more specific.
0: Yeah, do it. I'm there. And when it comes out, I mean I would say rapido. You know, let's get it down. <laughs> like you know, start typing away today. Typing. Yeah. I just fucking <laughs> dated myself as a dinosaur right there. <laughs> So thank you, Maricela, for your time today. And I look forward to your book signing. I'm just saying it right now. I'm just saying it right now. Your book signing it up in the universe. I'm putting it out there right now. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you so much, Teresa. It was so much fun. Oh good. Glad. Gracias, Maricela, for joining us today on Latinas from the block to the boardroom. You know, I'm excited to see more Latinas and just women of color and our diverse communities breaking barriers in industries and politics to change the current narratives for the inclusivity of our future, where we can rise together. I'm very excited for 2023 and beyond. So Elevate Network is a membership organization that Maricela is from, and it's accessible to all. And you can find them at elevatenetwork.com to learn more. And to contact Maricela, you can reach her through LinkedIn at Maricela, her first and last name, for more information and her podcast, Conversations with Women Changing the Face of Business. This podcast was produced by Teresa Gonzalez of 5e Leadership and Marketing and Latinas B2B.Marketing. Also co-produced by Robert Lopez, audio engineer and sound designer follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn and subscribe to our podcast newsletter to learn more about our small businesses, events, and promos that you can find at latinasb2b.com. Gracias.